So for the past couple of weeks, we have been going over a series of sacraments, and today we are talking about the sacrament of presence. Now on its own, the idea of presence is an abstract concept, and each one of us probably has a different definition of what the sacrament of presence could possibly mean. For me personally, sometimes it helps to better understand an idea by first realizing what it is not before I can understand what it actually is. This is what my English teacher in junior high called a negative definition. In my opinion, the opposite of presence would be absence. It is a void left by something missing or something that was never there. It is a noticeable emptiness. Now I'm sure each of us at some point in our lives have understood what presence meant because we lost the presence of someone important in our lives. We understood what it meant for someone to be there once they no longer were. But on the other hand, we can now understand presence as something that exists in a way where we are aware of its existence. It is not unnoticeable, but fully committed and engaged to reality and the space that it takes up. Sometimes presence can be affirming and peaceful, and sometimes it is countercultural, harmful and disruptive. But ultimately, presence is an agent of change. It is as dynamic and real as it is felt and experienced. A beautiful example for the Christian of presence is the incarnation of Christ, who is God embodied in flesh, physically present on earth through the life of Jesus. In John 6, we see Jesus talking to a crowd and his disciples about his miracles of bread and the ways he has fed these crowds, temporarily satiating their hunger. They have been searching for Jesus and ask for more bread. He then offers himself as the bread of life coming from heaven through which they would hunger no more if they would only receive it. In this Jewish context, familiar bells would ring in their mind of the story of God providing manna in the desert for the Israelites under Moses. This bread was a symbol of God's presence with the Israelites as they struggled in the wilderness. In the same way bread was given to their ancestors, Jesus offered himself as bread to the crowds and disciples. Jesus now was another physical example of God's presence among them, just like the manna. Jesus offers himself as the bread of life, long lasting sustenance in both the spiritual and physical wilderness. And we today are also offered the same bread of life when we believe in Jesus, break bread with one another, and receive his body through the symbol of Eucharist or communion. This is a symbol of the bread of life, the spiritual presence of God incarnate filling us through faith. His presence embodies us as we embody him and we become agents of his presence in both times of peace and disruption. Now at this point, I'm gonna pass it off to Carl who is going to break down the text of John a little further for us. Okay. I just wanted to share a few thoughts about the context of the passage. This passage speaks to Jesus's presence in a profound way, first as hospitality, then as hostility. You have a standing army gathered around Jesus. The counting of men echoes back to how Israel's standing armies were numbered for battle. This story starts off with Jesus miraculously providing for all the people that were present with him. He feeds the 5,000 with a young boy's lunch. 
Jesus picks up the bread and breaks it, then gives it as a gift to the people to eat. This is Jesus's presence as the promise of Eucharist, the promise of communion. They collect the 12 baskets of leftovers after everyone has had their fill. Jesus's presence is more than enough. The story goes on to tell us that Jesus sensed that the standing army was going to try to make him king by force in order to overthrow their oppressors. Jesus didn't come to be a conquering king, but Jesus did come to liberate the people of Israel. The people just had a certain imagination to what this would look like. And here's where the promise of Jesus's presence switches for the people. Jesus was first experienced as hospitality, but now Jesus is experienced as hostility. After Jesus leaves the standing army, they track him down and Jesus responds by inviting the crowd to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's another call to Jesus's presence as the promised Eucharist. But the crowd dissipates after saying, how can anybody follow such hard sayings? They have now experienced the promise of Jesus's presence as hostility, something that drove them away, something that didn't invite them in. The crowd experienced Jesus's presence as hostility when the promise arrived and it wasn't what they imagined it to be. So first as hospitality, then as hostility, but within both are the promise of Jesus's presence. Or maybe it's better to say in the promise of Jesus's presence, it contains both. But our experience is based upon how we imagine Jesus's presence to show up for us. As we sat in the sacrament of presence, we got to hear how the story unpacked with Jesus being a disruptive force there. So we want to be able to step into this time of asking some questions around the stories. So with the first question, how does our images of God, which shape our expectations of the future hope, frame their experience of Jesus, whether it's a hostile experience or experience of hospitality within the story? For myself, especially when Carl, um, you noted the fact that this was a counting of the army. So it was Jesus's kind of ragtag army, which was going to use force and coercion to make Jesus king. That their images of the warrior God coming to save, their metaphors that God was going to be the one riding on eagle's wings to strike down all our enemies, shaped their expectation. So when Jesus came and said, no, I just want to sit among you. It became hostile when Jesus said, actually, us sitting around the table and eating was experienced as hostility because they had to change their image, change the metaphor in order to enter into the hospitality of Jesus as Christ. That's good. I know for myself, um, like in thinking about that question is because they have the image of Jesus or as God as the warrior God. And so the, the Messiah or the messianic hope or the promise then becomes, well, we have a general to lead us, a king to lead us. And so when Jesus says, well, instead of us consuming our enemies, how about you consume me instead? It becomes a movement from hosti uh, hospitality saying like, okay, we're going to champion you. You are king. We want you to be our king. All of a sudden it becomes hostility. And it's like, you're not doing what we want. And you're saying something kind of weird. Um, and so in that mix, all of a sudden, it, Jesus gets, a, there's a sense of rejection or there is rejection. And the only people that are left are the disciples who basically they're like, we also don't really get it. And we're not really cool with the metaphor either, like the way that you're changing it on us, but what else, do, what else are we going to do? And, and so I, I really like, that's just that interplay right there where it was like, we want you to be our conquering king. You can't be our conquering king. And when you flip the metaphor on us from us being the ones who consume our enemies to us consuming 
um, Christ as Eucharist, as, as sacrificial lamb in a sense, like that's not the image we want in our minds. That's not the image that we can actually move forward with. That's really good, Carl. Um, I can definitely uh, relate to thinking through the same thoughts. Um, I think definitely there's this immediate challenge to the idea of uh, someone who's supposed to save them being a conqueror, someone who's victorious, uh, not someone who's going to lay down their life or snuff out their presence in order um, to be, to fulfill God's will or to be the future king. Um, I think there's this sense of struggling with the idea that what he's doing is uh, he's admitting to defeat in the way that he is acting. Um, and I think we can all relate to the idea of uh, expecting or, or kind of, sometimes we want leaders to lay down their lives, but most time leaders, what they do is they, they hold on to their power. They try to take power for themselves instead of give it away. Um, so I think there's a lot of even images that we, if we were in that same time frame, would struggle with. Um, but I think it, it really opens it up for our part participation in the process. Because if Jesus was that sort of dominating conqueror in that moment in space, um, it would take us out of the equation, um, at least for the call of the church and the vocation of the church. I can't say that it would be there if Jesus mm -hmm. operated in that role. And I'm curious, with just one of the phrases you had, you said he identified with defeat in this passage with how he had the consuming. But it's, I'd ask, do you think he actually changed the definition of victory? Because yeah, okay. rather than saying he was defeated, it was the utmost change in the system to say no true victory has us all at this table. Yeah, I think it was definitely the people's definition of defeat, mm -hmm. uh, that his actions were not one of someone who is coming to free them, but of, of someone who has no power at all. Uh, but he is definitely remaking those definitions. Um, just with his presence existing on earth, he's challenging their idea of, mm. of what he means. Coming to that next point, it's a good segue, that in these acts, we get to see Jesus who is God incarnate, God made tangible in flesh. But at the end of the story, as Jesus ascends back to heaven, we have to wrestle ourselves with what is it that the flesh becomes a metaphor again? Because it's easy to name for the first century and say, oh, we see where they missed it. They had the warrior God. But we're still existing in metaphor because Jesus is existing in heaven and all around. And that shapes the way we can understand what presence means now for folks. So how do we wrestle with that, that Jesus becomes metaphor again for us so our metaphors will then shape what we say presence and table could be. I think like for me, when I, when I hear that question um, about like Jesus be like becoming metaphor again, right? Because obviously like we would talk about the tangible presence of God. We would talk about like, we maybe use language like the Holy Spirit or something like that um, in order to talk about this idea of felt tangible presence with us. But at the same time, even with any language that we can use to talk about that is actual metaphoric language. It's it's like the the Holy Spirit. It's like the wind. You know. You know. It's like it's like as close to us as our breath. And all we can do is just our language begins to fail us when it, when it becomes 
um, when it comes time to actually begin to talk about God's presence again. Mm -hmm. And so in Christ, we have the tangible. In Christ, we have the, the metaphor becoming incarnational or becoming present. And now the presence is now back to metaphor, but it's still present somehow. And we're trying to talk about that. And I think in the, in the midst of that, for me at least, where I think the danger in, in all of that lies is when people begin to recreate the metaphor, they actually go back to the warrior God image, mm. right? So like when I look at my brothers and sisters that are in the States for the most part, um, like what is the image of God that they're holding onto when they can, when, when people can hold up Donald Trump as God's victor? Right, because it certainly isn't the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. It certainly isn't the sacrificial Lamb that's the metaphor guiding that, like that kind of a posture. Mm -hmm. And so, when we re-metaphorize, metaphorize if that's a word, God, it becomes the the danger becomes is that we actually go back to the old metaphors because we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do with the image of God as the consumed versus the consumer. And that actually pushes really strongly on why at folks we want to talk about the sacrament of presence, because we, if we say we can't just go back in time and say these old metaphors just need to be dusted off and polished a little bit. But in Jesus' challenge, the God who became flesh became tangible, who then had to become metaphor again. We need new metaphors, ones that allow for space, allow for openness, that is not victory at the cost of your life, but victory is defined by your inclusion which demands that even if we disagree even if we have tension it's by inclusion that we win it and that has to have the value added of your presence being felt just as much as mine at the table um i think with this question uh why i waited to respond was because i'm i think i am struggling to process the idea of metaphor in in the sense of mm. Uh, Jesus's presence in a, in a physical body and then his lack of presence in a physical body here on earth. And I think, I guess the words that came to mind was the, the terms visible and invisible. We, we had a visible God, we had an invisible God who became visible and then became invisible again. Um, so what does that mean for how we interact with God, how we view him? Um, and as I was reflecting, I, I think it really does help us um, learn to not depend on the things that we see, to take things for vase value. Uh, mm -hmm. If we constantly had a God who was physical to the touch, um, it would be really easy to just make up our own assumptions of him, to think we understand who he is because we're filtering him through the barriers of our senses. Uh, but the fact that Jesus is invisible again to us, but still present in a different way, um, it allows us to lean into the dependency and the mystery of where God is leading us into his vastness instead of just sticking to the status quo, holding on to the things we, we think we need to know. And I like your answer because it also, at least for me, leaning onto the mystery pushes us towards humility because if the tangible became intangible again, the visible became invisible again, then whenever the invisible becomes visible, like you said, I would probably be just as much caught up with the standing army around Jesus saying, okay, I can make you the king of my metaphors. I can force the world I want to see now. Um, you just hold on for a second. And forces me to sit back a little bit and say, okay, am I building, am I constructing good, good stories and metaphors right now? Or would Jesus still be shaking his head like, ah, oh, you guys, come on. 
No, definitely. Sorry. Well, I started laughing when you said that because uh, when you, the king of my metaphors, all of a sudden I started having John Mark McMillan singing in the back of my head, talking about Jesus, the king of my metaphors. He's <laughs> 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 the king of my heart. Um, yeah. And coming into a final question, we wanted to ask for folks in the sacrament of presence, how does becoming the body of Christ in front of each other make our metaphors tangible again? Well, I think, I think for me, like, like the idea that almost, you know, the language that like the, the church or, or, or followers of Jesus, like as the body of Christ. And so we become the tangible presence of Christ with us again. And so we have this, this notion of, we actually like where Jesus like visible, invisible, or invisible, visible, invisible, but then made visible through the body of Christ. Um, it's such a powerful place for us to, to land with, um, because then ultimately when people say that, if like if they have a negative opinion of God, well, reality is we have to actually take ownership of that because we are the visible image of God present in that moment. If they have a, a positive, it's like, cool, pat ourselves on the back. Maybe we did something awesome. I don't know. But as the the, the idea of being the body of Christ, as as the... I guess like the tangible metaphor even as of, of, of Jesus's presence um, for me is a very powerful, is a very powerful thing because like, like, you know, as a community, when we, when we take the Eucharist together, when we are present with one another and we say uh, we consume the broken body of Christ, becoming the broken body of Christ present in a broken world, like it's, it's actually calling us to, to that presence is calling us to actually live out. Like, what does it mean to be Jesus's presence in the world? And it's, it's, it's a very powerful thing because we, because within that, like this idea of hospitality and hostility, um, it's latent within the church. The church has the, has the, has the promise of hospitality and it also has the promise of hostility. And sadly, too many people have experienced it as the promise of hostility, but at the same time, it's never too late for us to, to be experienced as hospitality as well, because it's, it's both are latent within um, us being the active metaphor, if that makes sense. That's good. Um, sometimes I wonder if maybe the wrong people have experienced hostility, because um, yes, we are called to to love our enemies, but we definitely see uh, Jesus in in different situations, not mince words with uh, people who were supposed to be representatives of um, their God, but were sadly very poor representations of it. So I like that there's this um, there's this openness for we don't always have to be just you know sugar coated sort of candy sweet people, uh, but for moments of injustice we we should become uh, hostile resistors to those. Um, to those situations that that moment of injustice also will be shaped by our metaphoric understanding because when we say injustice we'll have different images jump into our heads say, oh no we're crying about injustice but what i think the beauty of saying the body of christ is tangible is it changes where i look for god i don't look for god in the metaphor first i must find the christ in your eyes first i see god in your being present with me first and in that the injustices that I'll cry for will come from your experience that when I see injustice in your life, there'll be a lived human experience there that can say the system was broken for them. The power structures are abusing these people and I can trust their voice because we are the body of Christ. And as much as I experience God in you, 
I make this metaphor a tangible reality now for myself, not just for the person who experiences me as body of Christ. But I'd say the tangibleness is really my movement towards you as body of Christ. It definitely is such a beautiful thing how um, it's turned it into a communal experience. It's not just a singular person who represents anything anymore. It's it's all of us representing mm. uh, Jesus. And I think uh, what Jesus does is so spectacular in the sense that it decentralizes the power and responsibility. Instead of it all being wrapped up in one person in this time, it's spread out among uh, thousands of people across generations and cultures. Um, and I think that's a really unique way to sort of delegate the leadership of, of his church um, and and the call of the church to be spread out among so many people. Uh, I just I think that's a really beautiful and powerful metaphor. Um, and I think if, if done right, it, it leads us to much more uh, humble and self-sacrificing uh, representations of Jesus's presence. Um, I also like that it, it makes me feel like more than just a vessel. Um, I've always struggled with the metaphor of being just a pure empty vessel that God pours himself through. And I, there's no personhood to me. I'm just an mm. inanimate object that's not actually participating and contributing. Um, I'm just an object to be used. Um, but in, in this sense, as we are the body of Christ, we become more than just a vessel. We become people with agency um, and responsibility in that same effect. Like I, I really like what, what Megan was saying there about even the way that the church is organized in light of in light of this metaphor, in light of being the body of Christ, the tangible presence of Christ, that the the onus isn't on one person being the leader. And, and I, I really like that because I think it leads us to actually have to question the way the church has ended up, like, because that's like, you know, reality is, is that 75 percent of the church kind of follows after six people as as the head and then the other 25 percent of the church are kind of all set themselves up in their own little popedoms as glenn coined the phrase before um and re reality is, is there's a fight there seems like there's a fight for leadership like who's kind of like leader supreme you know what i mean or supreme leader snoke about the whole thing like if we were the first order and reality is is that like christ is is is, is the head of the body and that we all get to participate in beautiful ways and so it's less about who leads um outside like you know less about who leads outside of christ but it's like no we all get to follow the leading of christ in the mix of that we all have ownership um, and, and, and we all, there's all there's importance to everybody's presence, and so I just like I love that 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 imagery about even how do we organize the church, and maybe we need to move away from kind of the notion of like the CEO type leader, you know, the one who commands all, dictates all, um, even if it is benevolent. Yeah. No, that, and I love that image just because um, so often my experience in this body metaphor becoming real, mm -hmm. uh, like you said. Um, everyone fights over being the neck it's like yes we're all the body but i'm the one who controls the head like my big fat greek wedding when it when she says oh yes the man is head of the house but the wife is the neck that turns him and all of us are like oh yeah jesus is the head but i turn him yeah. where if we really lean into the body metaphor and experiencing god and even what paul says about it is like 
The hand should not understand the foot. The knee will never understand the shoulder. The eyes will not be able to even comprehend the lungs. But each of the individual experiences, if we have the eyes to see God present there, that as an incarnational reality, that this presence would give us something more beautiful and dynamic and valuable than any one part could be to where then we can actually start putting value into each experience of the body instead of trying to say, yes, we have this, this kind of chief 5% here that dictates everything because they have the greatest experience. And it kind of trickles down. You guys get some low level blessings, but it's just because you're not sacred enough. Like it, it really gives value to me, to the multiple experiences in the body. So as we discuss, how do our metaphors or images of God shape the way we can experience God? We saw for the first believers that their hopes and metaphors of God as a warrior king affected their ability to experience Jesus as hospitality because they can only find table as hostility. Coming to the second part, Jesus was God made flesh tangible, but we wrestle with the tangible and being made metaphor again. And we're reminded that in all our best efforts to be able to explain God, we're still speaking in metaphor. So be gracious with each other and hold them loosely. And then we became came to the point of saying that the body of Christ is how we understand ourselves and how does this make metaphor tangible again? And we discovered in each of our stories that as we restructure our communities to be more equal and um, prosumers rather than consumers, that this equality, this different experience allows us to see Christ in each other. And in that the invisible God becomes visible again and the intangible becomes tangible as we stay in each other's presence.